that prodigal father. You know, we often think about the prodigal son who is so wasteful with uh, the inheritance, but really there's a God who is a prodigal father, who is extravagant with his love. And oftentimes we run, we, we hide, we ignore, we reject and neglect, um, but God is ever reaching after us. And I think that one of the ways in which God ever reaches for us is through the gift of the Sabbath. This is a weekly constant reminder saying, hey, come home. Come home. Come home to your Creator. Come home to your Redeemer. Come home. And so um, this morning we're going to continue to look at this day of delight. This day that is such a gift from heaven, a token of paradise that we once lost, but of a paradise that is promised to be restored. This day of delight. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, today we thank you for being that kind of God who wants to give us concrete reminders that you want us to come home. And so as we look at this this study today, we pray that we would see uh, not just the facts, but that we would see uh, the appeal of your Holy Spirit to come into a faith relationship with Jesus. So that's what we're looking for today, God. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would really give us the kind of uh, sensitivity to your Holy Spirit and the promptings that you long to just place upon our heart. So please teach us, instruct us, inspire us, transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Let the family say, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you will, and go with me. To uh, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 16 today. Exodus chapter 16. Before we get into the, the study itself, I want us just to kind of review where we've been. This is Day of Delight part three, which means that two weeks ago we started with part one, last week was part two, this week is part three. And what we have been studying, what we have been discovering is, first of all, uh, two weeks ago when we, when we saw the Sabbath as a delight, we realized that Sabbath is a rare and royal delight. That Sabbath is supposed to be a luxury, an exquisite, a palatial experience with God. And because of that, it is one that we ought to prepare for, right? It is one that we ought to guard, and it's one that we get to make and create. Do you remember that whole concept? That, 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 and that was the one that we looked at last week, that when we come to this day of delight, we have the privilege of creating it, of passionately making it into something that will really restore those two directions. You remember it? That little uh, upward and outward seven dynamic, right? We get to truly rest in a restored connection with God and rest in being able to reflect compassion to others. This is the picture of true, west, true rest that we get to make passionately and enthusiastically. We get to create opportunities for us to really have that restored connection with God and with others. And that's what we get to make of this day of delight. By the way, have you been uh, challenged to, um, to make something of our Sabbaths lately? Have you been enjoying your Sabbaths lately? I hope so. Like that kid, uh, what was his name, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, that, that we are discovering this jewel every seventh day of being able to experience exquisite, royal delight in Jesus. And today, what we're looking at is not just how to make the Sabbath, but how also to responsibly guard, to responsibly guard the Sabbath. 
Today, we want to become aware of those things that can actually rob us of rest. We want to be able to pinpoint from a biblical perspective the delight destroyers, okay? And I, I, will, I will be honest with you that as we go through this study, this is a challenging study. It's a challenging study for me, and I know it'll be a challenging study for you. And so I, I want to give you this fair warning, okay? <laughs> Are you ready for this? It's a fair warning. You ready? Okay, fair warning is this. The Bible gives us clear don'ts when it comes to Sabbath delight. The Bible gives us clear don'ts, but here's the warning. If we are to pick up a lesson from the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the Pharisees show us that focus on the don'ts without highlighting the do's empties the Sabbath of all delight. Did you catch that? The Pharisees, we saw it last week when we looked at Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees had many don'ts about the Sabbath, but they had never connected it to the do's. And because of that, Sabbath delight had been drained and lost sight of. So that's the warning I want us to understand that, yes, we are going to identify from a biblical perspective the don'ts, but here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to see those don'ts in light of the do's. Is, is that a, a reasonable endeavor today? Yeah? Okay? And we're going to look at this not just from our own fancy or imagination, but from what the scripture reveals to us, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we don't want the Sabbath delight to be drained. We don't want to focus so much on the do's that we leave a vacuum of delight. No, what we're going to do is connect the don'ts to the do's, identify the delight destroyers, but see what that enables us to experience in Jesus, okay? So we're going to look at three passages. The first one we're going to is Exodus chapter 16, three passages. Let's identify the biblical don'ts and then see them in connection with what that enables us to do. If you're there, Exodus 16, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right, here we are, children of Israel. They have just been set free from Egypt, praise God, okay? So know this, going to this story, we are looking at a free people. We are looking at a people that have been set free, delivered from bondage. And this Sabbath is a gift for them. Okay, Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, I'm reading from the New King James today. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain what? Bread from heaven for you. Whoa, whoa, when was last time you saw that? <laughs> I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may do what? That I may, ooh, test them. Test them for what? An A, A minus? No, 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 no. Test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Okay, so here's the setup. God is going to give a concrete test, a concrete way to demonstrate their trust and obedience to God. Trust and obey, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, right? This is a faith thing. This is a faith thing, and God is basically giving them this concrete thing. And what is that concrete thing? It is bread from heaven. And what was the name given to that bread? Does anybody remember? Manna, manna, which literally means, what is it? It's a question. Manna is a literal question. When the Israelites saw that stuff, they said, what is it? <laughs> they called it manna. Okay, so this is setting it up. It's trust in God's provision, trust and obedience to God's word. 
Trust and obedience on a daily level, but especially trust in relationship to the Sabbath. This is what we're going to see. Okay, so verse 5, the Bible says, And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so this is a very interesting thing. God was going to promise to them. He was basically saying, look guys, here's the deal. You guys are looking for something to eat. I'm going to give you something to eat, and I'm going to give it to you how often? Every day, six days of the week, but then the seventh day, guess what would happen? There would be nothing. Why? Because the Sabbath is supposed to be, ah, oh, I'm dreary and weak and hungry. Is that what's going on? No, 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 no. He's saying, look, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much so that you don't have to unnecessarily labor on that seventh day. You don't have to worry about the stuff that you would normally worry about every other day of the week. All right? So this, this is all a faith thing. And I want us to realize that when we talk about Sabbath, it's in the context of a faith journey with Jesus. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, if we don't have a faith relationship with Jesus, guess what? Sabbath is meaningless. Have you tried Sabbath without really trusting in Jesus? That's not very fun. <laughs> if you've tried Sabbath without really trusting that God is your creator, if you've tried Sabbath without really trusting that God is your redeemer and sanctifier, then Sabbath is just another thing to do. Check. No, 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 no. That's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a faith thing. Do I really trust God? And so later on, down in this story, if you go down to verse 17, Go down to verse 17 and see exactly how this narrative unfolds. It says, this is Exodus 16, verse 17. The Bible says, Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had, a, had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until when? Until morning, why? Does anybody know why? Because it would actually, like, it would stagnate, it would mold, it would breed worms, and it would just be gross. Later on, in verse 20, the Bible says, Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stink, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. Here's the point. God wanted them to know, you can trust me to supply your needs every single day. That's a faith thing. Do you follow that? You can trust, I've got everything you need. You don't provide for yourself, I do. You can trust me. And so, if people were to keep some for leftover, do you know what the mentality behind that was? Well, what, if, what if God doesn't give me bread tomorrow? That's a doubt thing. That's why, that's why the, 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 the manna bread worms and stink. It was, it was just a recognition, hey, this is unbelief right here. This is unbelief. But what would happen on the sixth day? On the sixth day, there would be something different. Verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered how much? Twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, verse 23, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said, Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, 
and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Whoa, this is out of the ordinary. Hey, I tried keeping stuff till the morning, and it bred worms and stink. Moses, you're telling me that on Friday I actually need to keep stuff? How's this going to work? Again, this is a faith thing. In verse 24, so they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Verse 25, then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there shall be none. But notice what happens. The children of Israel, they, they like to test the, the, they like to push the edges a little bit. And in verse 27, it says, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long? Do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Do you see what's going on here? It's a faith thing, right? <laughs> faith on two different levels. Faithful, faith-filled preparation during the week, and especially on that sixth day, on that Friday, when they were to gather twice as much. That was a faith thing too. They weren't sure what was going to happen the next day, but they knew that God had said, gather twice as much, so they gathered twice as much. It was their faith-filled preparation and obedience, their mindfulness of the don'ts that actually paved the way for a vision of God's miracles. Do you realize that every seventh day there was a twofold miracle? That when they were mindful of what not to do, that is, don't gather on the seventh, right? When they were mindful of what not to do, they actually experienced a twofold miracle. One, double portion on Friday, and two, preservation on Sabbath. They saw God's miracles, God's provision, and God's preservation. Here's the thing. When we're talking about this don't, what's the connection of this don't to a do? What did this don't enable them to do? Look, here's the delight destroyer. If you're writing this down, go ahead and write it down. Delight destroyer number one, unnecessary labor on Sabbath. Did you catch it? Unnecessary labor, unnecessary domestic labor. When that is removed, guess what happens? It prepares us to be a witness to God's miracles. When the Israelites, when they were mindful of removing that delight destroyer of unnecessary labor, they became a witness every seven days of God's miraculous provision. How many of you want to see a miracle? <laughs> then don't work on the Sabbath. Do you see it? Don't leads to the do. I do get to see a miracle of God. Praise the Lord. And this is talking about the unnecessary activities, you know, hey, leave the dishes for another day. Leave the trash for another day. Leave the yard for another day. Amen. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> if, uh, that, you know, I actually had a professor at school. He said, you know, this Sabbath delight is a royal delight. So when my wife goes to do the dishes, I say, honey, you're a queen today. Delight in the rest of God. When we connect this don't to a do, it allows us to see the miracle of God. The miracle of God to provide. And this is the cessation of needless labor. But I would also say this is the cessation of career work as well. 
sometimes we, we ask ourselves, well, okay, but I, I need to provide for my family. I need to, you know, I need to earn an income. I need to make sure that I've got this bill paid for and that bill paid for. Well, guess what? The children of Israel experienced that same tension. Is God really going to take care of me if I don't work on the Sabbath? And God provided every seventh day. I want us to see another passage, okay? Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 13 because this gets a little bit more specific about the, the uh, work as a livelihood, work as a career. Is this something that God instructs us to rest from? Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah is also in the Old Testament. It's a little bit before the Psalms, right before Esther and then Job. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 13 if you found it, go ahead and say, wow, I found it. <laughs> awesome. All right, we're in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Now, historically speaking, just to, I don't know how much of the, the Old Testament history you're aware of. So you know, obviously, Moses, the children of Israel, delivered from Egypt. Now they're on their way to the promised land. Eventually, they settle in the promised land. They're led by different judges. They're led by different prophets. Eventually, they ask to be led by a king. And then you read about those histories of the kings, like in the books of First and Second Kings, right? First and Second Chronicles, etc., etc. But in the course of Israel's history, they end up following other idols. They end up just apostatizing, totally wandering from their commitment to be followers of God. Eventually, God allows for other nations like Assyria and Babylon to actually take his people captive. You remember Daniel? Daniel was one of those individuals who was taken as a prisoner of war from Jerusalem, exported all the way to Babylon. Okay? So there's this Babylonian captivity. People like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were prophesying about all this stuff taking place. But they had also prophesied that eventually, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, guess what? The people of Israel would return. They would return. Ezra Nehemiah, they were amongst the leaders of God's people in that post-exile experience, okay? So here's Nehemiah, and he's speaking in a context of wanting to maintain their covenant faithfulness to God because it was their covenant unfaithfulness that led to the captivity. They want to make sure not to repeat history, okay? Do you follow Nehemiah's burden here? Yeah? Okay. So Nehemiah, in chapter 13, there's a, a string of practical reforms. Nehemiah is saying, hey guys, we're going back to our old ways. Don't do it. Part of it was true Sabbath keeping. Okay? So there we are. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. Look what Nehemiah says. He says in verse 15, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Here's what they were doing. They were basically carrying on their agricultural work, their jobs, on the Sabbath, as though it were any other day of the week. And so you can understand Nehemiah's response. Hey, I warned them. Hey, this isn't what we're supposed to do. 
Nehemiah's response continues, verse 17. He says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you do what? Do you see that? Those are strong words. By which you profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? He's basically reflecting on the past. Do you remember when Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 17, he was basically warning our forefathers, don't do this, otherwise Babylonian captivity is going to happen. And Nehemiah is recalling the history, saying, look, are we just going to do what led to Babylon in the first place? He's essentially saying, look, if we carry on, we might as well still be back in Babylon. Think about that. Think about that spiritually in the, in the eschatological scheme of Revelation and, and the spiritual Babylon. If we carry on treating Sabbath as though it were just like any other day of the week, we might as well be captives in Babylon. That's the burden. That's the burden that Nehemiah has. And in verse 17, where he says, yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. I looked up that word profane, and the Hebrew word is halal, which literally means to bore a hole into. It means to pierce, to wound, to cut a hole into it and empty it out of all meaning and significance, and sacredness. We may not necessarily feel like we're doing that, but, but here in God's eyes, they're saying, look, you're treating it like every other day, and it's actually draining it of all meaning and delight. See, by continuing to work, the children of Israel had m- removed the lines between what's sacred and what's common. Do you realize that profane, uh, the, the English word profane, it literally means vulgar or common? And so, it, actually, uh, if you're writing down notes in Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 8 and 26, Ezekiel, he was one of those prophets prior to the Babylonian captivity who was saying, look, the Sabbaths are being profaned. And then in verse 26, he actually says something very interesting. He says, you're not drawing a distinction between that which is holy and that which is unholy that which is common and that which is uncommon. And so really to profane something is to just treat it like everything else. That which is holy literally means it's set apart for a sacred purpose, right? God made the seventh-day Sabbath holy, set apart for a sacred, special purpose. And for us to continue to treat it like every other day is to blur the lines and to profane it, to pierce a hole, to dissolve it of all meaning. This, these are the strong words of Nehemiah and these Old Testament prophets. You know, maybe it's not, maybe for you, it's not your career work. You're not even, uh, you're, you're still in school and, and you don't even have a job. So how, how can I be my, well, what about schoolwork, right? I remember this was such a blessing to me. Praise the Lord. I don't have to do homework today, right? Um, some of you may be in circumstances where, where your school activities um, actually schedule you or require you to be involved in this or in that, this competition or that test or taking this board uh, on, on Sabbath hours. Friends, this is something that God actually calls us to lay aside. Are we seeing that? Yes or no? Yeah? 
the reality is, you know, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, my boss expects me to be here. How can I tell him otherwise? My teacher demands this. How can I? Well, I'm not going to pass. I'm going to fail. Here's the, here's the reality. In the final analysis, who would we rather explain ourselves to? Right? Is that okay to be real and honest here? <laughs> In the final analysis, I would rather apologize to a human than have to apologize to God. I would rather live fully pleasing to God rather than fully pleasing to man. There was a point where the disciples themselves, in Acts chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Peter and John, they looked at themselves, they looked at the people who were expecting them to do differently than what their conviction had told them. He said very plainly, we ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than man. Now I know this is a very strong don't, right? <laughs> this is a very strong don't. But what is the connection to the do? As we saw it in the manna experience, when we really hold faithful to this don't, that enables us to be witnesses of God's miracles. Amen? Amen. I've heard stories. Even last Sabbath, I was just sitting around at the potluck table and someone was sharing with me how, you know, when they learned of the Sabbath truth, they held truth. They worked for the Air Force. They were a computer technician for the Air Force. And every seventh day, they were actually on call. They were on call to, to repair whatever computers for the United States Air Force went down. But when he learned of the Sabbath, he actually went to the dry erase board where his number of on-call list, you know, the, the on-call list of numbers, he went to the board, erased his number, he went off base to go keep Sabbath. <laughs> and praise the Lord, he continued to work for the Air Force. <laughs> Several of you have shared stories with me in which God has provided for you when you stood true to conscience and conviction. God provided in miraculous ways. It's a faith thing. Are you seeing that clearly? Yes or no? Yeah. It's a faith thing. And I realize it's hard, it's difficult, but, but if God is for us, who can be against us? Hmm. There's a verse where Jesus says, or where God says, hey, those who honor me, I will honor. And we can stand before men when we kneel down before the king. We can stand bold before our employers when we're humbled before the king of all kings. We can do this. And if you need help in this, friends, we want to be a church family that can support you and pray for you because that's not a battle that we need to face on our own. God is on your side. We are on your side. In fact, the law is on your side too. The law actually requires employers to make religious accommodations. So if that's something that you actually need to talk to one of us about, we'd be happy to make that happen, okay? All right. So going on. Sorry, that was a little bit of a sidebar. but we Okay, going back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He continues just kind of calling people to covenant faithfulness. And later down in the story, in verse 19, notice how the story progresses. The people of Israel did not respond right away. In verse 19, it says, So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath. Okay, so this is Friday night. As it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. Nehemiah wanted to make some practical measures here. Okay. 
commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath. Do you understand now kind of a little bit more of how to guard the Sabbath? Literally, Nehemiah is doing it, okay? He's guarding the Sabbath. But notice verse 20. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. How did Nehemiah feel about this? Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Now, while I agree with Nehemiah's desire, <laughs> I may not necessarily agree with his manner here. Um, but I think you understand, right? This was so important to Nehemiah to guard covenant faithfulness because that was really equated to covenant identity, belonging to God. Nehemiah was serious about it. And so here he was not just uh, guarding people from doing their own work, but actually guarding them from the just the distraction of merchandise, of buying, of selling for themselves. So here, it's not just about career work and working for your livelihood. The delight destroyer here is also the carrying on of worldly concerns, of business transactions, marketing, merchandise, buying, selling. Do, do you see that clearly? Yes or no? Yeah? And so, what does this don't enable us to do when we actually lay aside those everyday trans hey, i don't need to go to the bank today i can go another day right i don't need to go to the grocery store right now because i either went earlier in the week or i can wait for another day but wait there's no bread in the pantry well you know what god can still provide <laughs> did you say pancakes <laughs> amen amen and this is this is this is actually when you say that's funny because that's been a very true experience, life experience for me. <laughs> so here, here's the point. What is the connection to the do, right? Because this is, like we said, a very strong do, okay? I mean, a very strong don't. Yes, we don't work. Yes, we don't carry on our business, our livelihood. Yes, we don't even engage others in business and work and merchandise. I don't need to buy this. I don't need to go out to eat. I don't need to sell that. I can wait for another day, right? What is the do here? Removing the idea, let's talk about work. Removing, whether it be career work or school work, removing that enables us, like we said, to see the miracle of God's provision. How about secular business and the shopping transactions, etc., etc.? Removing the secular business and transactions actually enables us to rest. Listen, it enables us to rest in godly content and simplicity. Think about this. It enables us to rest in what we have, not just in what we don't have. Have you ever noticed that consumerism, it thrives on you and I feeling like I need something that I don't already have. Right? <laughs> just think about the commercials that you've seen this week. It's marketing before your eyes something that you don't have and it's making you feel like you need it. That's what consumers, that's what the market thrives on, making you feel like you need something you don't already have. So to be free of that is basically a confession of faith saying, praise the Lord, I have everything I need right now. <laughs> 
So when we remove the, the, okay, I need to get this, I need to get that. When we remove that out of our Sabbath experience, guess what? On this day of delight, on this day of delight, we don't have to work for what I can gain. We can rest in what God has already given. On this day of delight, instead of shopping for what I don't have, I can give thanks for what I do have. <laughs> do you see the delight in that? Delight in the simplicity and contentment of being taken care of by God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right. You ready for the last passage? All right. Isaiah chapter 58. This is what we sang about earlier. This is what we've been looking at every week that we've been doing this series. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, the last two verses there. And here in this chapter, again, Isaiah is, he is one of those prophets on the pre-exile side of things. He's warning them about, hey, these judgments are coming if you don't turn your life. He's also giving them messages of hope. He's giving them the anticipation that eventually they will return. And when they do return, they will be called restorers of streets to dwell in, repairers of the breach. All these kinds of beautiful pictures. Isaiah chapter 58, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 58. And part of this picture of restoration to being God's people is a picture of true Sabbath keeping. Verse 13, the Bible says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, maybe we should sing this one instead. <laughs> if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a what? A delight. A holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him. Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Did you see the delight destroyers already? What are they? What are the delight destroyers? Here, just in that verse. Verse 13. Your own pleasures your own ways. What does that mean? <laughs> I can't do what I want to do? What, what, what is that? I thought the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. How do we define this? The key word is your. <laughs> the key word is your. It's about, it's, it's about God and not me. So when those pleasures, when those ways are more about me rather than God, those are delight destroyers. You follow that, yes or no? Yeah? So what's included in that? Oh man, we could, we could probably make a, a laundry list if we wanted to. And I think in your own conscience, you can kind of recognize, okay, this activity, that activity, this device, that device, this screen, that screen, ah. So when I'm thinking about this, I'll tell you, to be honest, just in my personal experience, look, the things that I know for, for a fact that are my pleasure and my ways, secular media, things that have a screen. You know, I actually heard uh, or I read an article that, that referred to teenagers, not as teenagers, but as screenagers. <laughs> and the truth is that that's not just true about teenagers. That's, poof, younger, older. You know, you, you, you walk through any public venue, and you're more likely to see eyes on a screen than eyes, eyes, eyes making eye contact, right? And here's the thing. Look, look, look. It's not that screens in and of themselves are abominations, okay? I mean, maybe we can make a case for that, but that's not what we're trying to do today, okay? <laughs> here's the point. 
Are they your pleasures and your ways? Or are they God's pleasures and God's ways? Remember what we said earlier, apart from faith, Sabbath is a drudgery. If we don't already have a relationship with God, this idea of removing your pleasures and removing your ways, that's just going to feel like a drag. I remember those days. I remember those days myself. When I was a young person, said, why can't I watch this cartoon? Come on! It's something I want to do, but it's not going to make God honorable in my heart and mind. And for that reason, it's a delight destroyer. It's a profaner. It will bore a hole in the Sabbath and drain it of all joy and meaning. And so, whether it's secular media, video games, internet, TV, this app, that app, (laughs) whatever contributes nothing to my appreciation for God, those are delight destroyers. How about activities, things that we can do? Secular amusements and activities, that ball game, this party, that overindulgent nap, uh uh-oh. Maybe you've been on, uh, okay, Uh, for some reason I imagine guys being guilty of this more than ladies, but maybe you've planned a date for that significant other, and really all the things that you planned were things that you wanted to do and not what the other wanted to do. (laughs) You know, yeah, let's let's go to this hockey game, it's going to be awesome. What? Yeah. (laughs) Think about this in the context of your relationship. What are those things that are really going to be pleasing to God? That's the key thing. Sure, those things that are pleasing to God, they are. They are going to be pleasing to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God actually has something better than this world has to offer? It's a faith thing. Do you you see that? It's a faith thing. Do we trust That God's delight, God's definition of joy and delight is actually better than my own. And on the Sabbath day, we get to experience that, recalibrate our hearts, because every other day, we've kind of just kind of become citizens of this world. And on the Sabbath, we get a foretaste of heaven. Ah, this is home. This is what I was made for. And this is such a beautiful thing because that Sabbath is not only relegated for that Sabbath day. What ends up happening is if we take seriously that principle of preparing for the Sabbath, you remember that? That principle of preparing, guess what's happening? On Tuesday, I'm actually thinking about how I'm going to enjoy my time with God on Sabbath. And guess what that does? That refocuses. Wait, wait, wait. There are things that are more important than this, this stuff right here. On Wednesday, when I'm actually doing this and getting that, on Friday, when I'm doing... I'm I'm anticipating my relationship with God all week long. So this day of delight turns into what Isaiah 58 verse 14 says, delighting yourself in the Lord. Not just on that seventh day, but because of that seventh day, you are now delighting yourself in the Lord. Do you follow that today, yes or no? That's the beauty of the Sabbath experience. It actually strengthens our relationship with God all the way around. All right, another specific thing here. We we looked at uh, your ways, your own pleasures, but there in verse 13, that last phrase, nor speaking your own what? What? Does that mean Sabbath is supposed to be spent in silence? (laughs) 
All right, at Potluck, we're passing out duct tape. Everybody put it on your... <laughs> no, 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 what's going on? It doesn't mean that Sabbath is spent in silence, but that our words and conversations should be of such a character that they could be called God's words and not my own. Think about that. The topics of conversations, the themes that you focus on. Remember how Matthew 12 says it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when God is calling us not to speak your own words, he's actually calling us to check our hearts. He's calling us to, not just to filter our conversations, he's calling us to filter our hearts, our thoughts. And on that Sabbath day, to, that our thoughts would be of such a character that they would be called God's thoughts and not our own. That's powerful. That's powerful. Some of us are going to be more quiet today, huh? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, here, here's the point. Here's the point. That everything about this day is centered on the one who is the center of the universe. And that's not you or me. It's God alone. That our pleasures would be focused on him. That our ways would be focused on him. That our words would be focused on him. Wow. Okay, again, another strong don'ts, but how do we connect this to a do? What does this actually enable us to experience? Let me say it like this. When I lay down that which is profane, I get to take up that which is holy. When I cease from that which is common and un, excuse me, when I cease from that which is common and Sorry, okay. <laughs> when I cease from that which is common and ordinary, I get to experience something that is uncommon and extraordinary. So when we remove our pleasures, our ways, our words, it paves the way to truly experiencing holiness. Entering into something that is sacred. And by that, this verse says, we honor him. Verse 13, and shall honor him. Again, and, and we've seen that, that word honor means to make something weighty or heavy or significant with importance. And when we don't do our ways, our pleasures, our words, we do honor the Lord. We do uh, open ourselves to the blessings of verse 14. Did you notice the blessings that are promised to us in verse 14? Look at them, look at them. Verse 14, it says, then... You shall delight yourself in the Lord. Remember that delighting, uh, what we delight ourselves in is that which is most important to us. Uh, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, He becomes our everything, more valuable than anything this world has to offer. In other words, when we really take seriously the don't of those things, then we do get to experience a refreshed and revived relationship with God. How many of you would like to have a living relationship with God? Praise the Lord. And that's something that these don'ts pave the way to do. What else? It says, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. Some of you are saying, I hate heights. <laughs> Don't take me. No, no, no. What, what this picture is talking about is actually a picture of victory, riding, riding on a horse. You know, it's a picture of victory. It's also a picture of being taken care of. Have you ever read that little book, Habakkuk? It's near the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk has this really, oh, he's got an argument with God. He's saying, why is it that bad people get good stuff and that good people get bad stuff? What, what's going on? Habakkuk has this argument with God. 
And eventually God speaks to him in such a way that he can't, oh, he can't ignore it. And he says, oh, the just shall live by faith. That's where that verse comes from, by the way. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And at the end of Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Habakkuk ends with this song-like confession. He says, okay, if the barns are empty, if my pocket is drained, if my checkbook has nothing, I will still rejoice in the Lord. That's what he says. And he says in verse 19, the Lord will make my feet like hinds feet, like, like deer's feet, and I'll be able to, psh, man, I am walking on the high places, trotting around in victory, knowing that God is taking care of me. <laughs> so in Isaiah 58, verse 14, when you don't do this, ah, we get to experience victory and the carefree life of freedom, knowing that God is providing all that I need. That's a beautiful thing. So what are the practical takeaways here? I think, we're, oh, really, as we just kind of reflect on this, the practical takeaways. First, it's a moment of honesty. Are there delight destroyers in my experience? Are there delight destroyers in my experience? Is it unnecessary labor? Is it my work? Making someone else work? Business, school, etc.? Is it shopping? Is it buying? Is it selling? Is it pleasures, ways, and words that are my own and not God's? If there are delight destroyers in our experience, the next thing we need to settle in our mind is, first of all, is it actually clear from God's word that these, in fact, are delight destroyers? <laughs> because I think we can kind of play a little mental game of rationalizing this away. But if we're clear that from God's word, these things are delight destroyers, that they bore a hole in the Sabbath and empty it of all meaning and delight, then we need to ask ourselves the question, do I trust God? Remember, it's a faith thing. We're recognizing these delight destroyers. Maybe they're big. Maybe they're small. Maybe it's something I can take care of now. Maybe it's something that I really need to work up to. But the question is, do I trust God? Do I trust that his way really is the best way and that what he has to offer in Sabbath delight is way better than my work, than my burdens, than my pleasures, my ways, my whatever? <laughs> If I really trust God, then the appeal is simply this. You know what that delight destroyer is. Let it go and open your hand to receive the blessings God wants to give in its place. That's a simple appeal. It's a challenging appeal. I gave you that fair warning, right? This is going to challenge us. You know there's a delight destroyer in your experience. Maybe there's many. Do you trust that if you actually intentionally let it go, that God would replace it with something better? His word has promised it. The lives of those around us have witnessed and testified to it. I would encourage you to be one of those lives who can witness and testify to that miraculous provision too. Maybe there's something that you know. Okay, okay. Share it with somebody in your household. 
Share it with somebody who is, you know, a close and intimate friend that, that you can ask for prayer about and really encourage and spur one another on in experiencing more and more of the open hand towards God. So, how many of us will choose to do the faith thing here? <laughs> There's a delight destroying your experience and you're wanting to say, okay, I'll do what it takes to let go and open up my hand to receive God's delight. How many of you are willing to, to make that step today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, our hands lifted, our consciences raised, our hearts pricked. God, this is not just about what we do or don't get to do, but this is about trusting what you have promised you will do. Oh Lord, we want to be a people who take you at your word. We want to be a people who actually trust and believe that if you created the world out of nothing, you could surely provide for me here and there. Lord, we want to be a people who come to the Sabbath and, and look back and trust that if you redeemed me from sin, you can deliver me from this delight destroyer and that one. Oh Lord, please give us faith today. You know the individual circumstances, scenarios, situations. And I pray, Lord, that you would surround us with the kind of encouragement from our brothers and sisters in Christ that would spur us on, that would spur us on in experiencing greater delight in the Lord. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. There are times in which we have unknowingly profaned and bore a hole into your Sabbath. There are times in which we have knowingly done that. Oh Lord, hear and oh Lord, forgive. Show us your mercy and restore us to a refreshed, revived relationship with Jesus. We thank you, God, that this is your promise and this is your pleasure to fulfill it. We trust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Amen.